This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. We say, Ayo, you know we're back on our J-O. Tell me how can I say no? It is take three, guys. This is the third crack we're going to have. And if that comment makes no sense to you, Shag's about to give you some context as to why I think we're even closer than we once were. Emperor's New Flows is the theme song of our podcast. Only made in 2017, already a tiny bit problematic. Ignore the first two bars <laughs> if you're playing it around your family. Uh, but broadly speaking, <laughs> broadly speaking, it's our theme song. I'm pretty excited for this episode because 15 minutes mm. before this episode started recording, I get a text from you that says... Mm. Important Spooko admin, yep. and I I am a pessimist mm. at the best of times. So I'm like, oh my god, has the show been cancelled? Oh, like what's happening? <laughs> and the next text that follows is, yeah. I am going to watch a kill count video and come straight in hot from doing that. Peach, have you just seen a horror film kill count video on YouTube? No fucking way. I just watched a horror film kill count video on YouTube, and I've got some thoughts. Um, First of all, a kill count video is literally yep. a video where they just take the kills out of context from a horror or slasher film and then show them in order, usually with a fun counter down mm. the bottom to be like, kill one, kill mm. two sort of thing. Uh, and the yep. second thing we've talked about is, as this is a podcast about aversions to scary films, one way to start exposing yourself to horror in a safe way is to watch kills outside of the context because it makes them way less scary and a lot more funny. Pete, what did you see? What did you think? Tell us everything. Now, first things first. <laughs> Resh's WhatsApp. It's a monumental occasion. <laughs> I went with the 1984 Nightmare on Elm Street. I figure that's sort of one of the five or ten or fifteen reasonably iconic ones. Lots of good kills in there. Lots of good blood in there. And look, look it was fairly gripping. What I did was went to the YouTube min- video, minimized it down to just a tiny little corner of my screen and just kept an eye on work emails while I was doing it. So it was that sort of half watching, half not. Turned the volume down really low. And this one had a commentary from a very enthusiastic American dude who was making sort of lighthearted jokes of like, oh, look out for the Freddy Claude hands, you guys. He's a crazy character. <laughs> um, and, so, <laughs> and so the whole tone allowed me um, to escape these scary fears. It'll only be my nightmares where I remember Freddy cutting his stomach open deliberately Ooh. and like maggots and stuff coming out. Or just slicing off some of his fingers to be like, what's up? I'm just going to slice off some of my fingers. Even at the very, very start of the film with him doing a Batman Begins of building his building his glove to be like, oh, no, how am I going to tinker and uh, and Christian bail my way into, <laughs> into my Freddy glove? 
Look, I feel like I did it. I feel like I emerged unscathed. And I feel like it is closely analogous, but marginally more scary to reading a Wikipedia entry. Now, just a whisper more context, right? The chat with Alexi was extremely interesting entirely. And there was this 15 minute segment, 15 second segment of it that's really spoke to me of like horror films are designed to elicit a response, right? What we're doing by reading a Wikipedia plot synopsis or by watching it with uh, at 1.25 speed, which is what I was doing <laughs> to just make everything seem a little bit unreal with a high pitched American dude making jokes and narrating over it is to take, is to just gradually water down any techniques the director um, and all the artists involved have to make us scared. So I'm like, mm, I'm just going to take away all the stuff you've worked so hard to build. And so while it has allowed me to emerge moderately unscathed, there's also a question that I just sort of had a philosophical one of about two minutes before we came on just now. Like, <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? Why am I taking... <laughs> Like, why am I taking mm. artworks that people have worked so hard for and have really crafted and have done their best <laughs> to be like, mm, I don't want to watch it the way you want me to watch it. I want to watch it in a shit, watered-down way. And it sort of just led me to this position of like, well, maybe I should be going in and getting scared and having nightmares or my interaction with these works of art is not respecting the artists who made them. That's the extent of my preliminary philosophical thoughts for the moment. Resh is Pitch, what's up. so much just came out of everything you said. I'm so excited by all of it. And I want to ask you some questions. But the first question I want to ask is, mm. outside of the philosophical question that you asked yourself there, so take away mm. any sort of moral thoughts about what you've just done in terms of taking someone's mm. work and potentially not appreciating the way it's supposed to. Did you enjoy... Mm. Those uh, disparate scenes in the kill count. Did you enjoy watching a scary movie in a weird way? Yes, I did. Um, and a significant part of it, I realised, was the sort of meta textual element. Was sort of I was like, oh, I'm watching a movie from 1984 that is influential. Oh, I'm being told about how they did the special effects for this kill. Oh, no way, Johnny Depp's death is in the same set as the first death, and so they reuse the same technology of turning the room upside down so in a sort of meta textual overarching way i was really engaged and interested um and i think it, it does almost lean back to that first point of the experience i had looking at the images and listening to the sounds that are part of the movie cannot be even close to analogous to watching mm. the movie i think that's probably the point i'm yeah. coming to i'm here in a in a sunny room Part of my mood is down to the fact that I've had the sandiest week ever and about 10.30am this morning, all the sand just got completely swept away perfectly. So I'm sitting here having a Resha's recording spooko. I'm a lighter than air mood and having a great time. So I think all of these things water down the fight or flight response that the film's designed to generate and that I've successfully avoided, but only through placing myself further and further away from what the artists intended. And so the question of, is that distance ethical? Is that distance good art appreciation? And does it matter? I find all super interesting. I, I would like to feed into this while progressing this podcast episode. So first of all, I think that sort of almost like auteur theory-based question that you have to appreciate art the way the artist intended is kind of 
moot Fuck. now. Like it doesn't. It doesn't. Oh, it, oh. oh Pete, sorry. Go. Shag, shag. Like I, this is this is your thesis. So in 1969, a French philosopher wrote an article called The Death of the Author. That's Roland Barthes. Shag, you and I have discussed the death of the author in the past and you mm. cited Barthes in your thesis after we spoke about it. Perhaps this is the answer. Perhaps we are being post-structural with our horror films in a, like in a very precisely defined way of saying the author is dead. The fact Wes Craven had one intention and I had another means that Wes is perfectly legitimate and mine is perfectly legitimate. And I can't sit here feeling guilty for, you know, falling asleep at the opera or only watching a horror film, you know, in a watered down way or whatever it is. Any band that put their song in a commercial and managed to feed their family for the rest of their lives will tell you that it is okay and in fact beneficial for your Mm. art to be appreciated in more than one way. Because it will always be, there will always be an audience that appreciates your art in the way it's intended, even if that audience is just you. And then there's all the other ways. It can, so it's like, if you are against something being appreciated in more ways, there's nothing I can tell you, but there's also nothing you can do about that. Yes. So you either go with it or you don't. So so that's my first point. My second point is mm. I love you calling him Freddie Clawhands. And I just feel like <laughs> if there was like an Australian version of it that came out in the 80s, it would be a lot more goofy and it would be have a lot more lines like, oh, it's bloody Freddie Clawhands. <laughs> Get out of my dreams, mate. Um, and everyone's voice would be surprisingly more nasal and higher than, than Australian voices today. But, oh, what, Freddie Clawhands? Cool, blimey. Did he just cut his, did he just cut his thingy open? But, but the final thing I want to say is, again, calling back to things that we've talked about a lot in this podcast mm. and something I really wanted to talk about today, so it's so beneficial that you brought this up, is, the, is the concept of friendship homework, which is, yes. I think, like, not not that new a concept but something that has mm. that has become exponentially more problematic now that there are so yes. many ways to share media with other people you know there's phone there's all your social great. medias there's like we're connected to our friends all the time right and so it's so easy to just see something you like and be like hey peach here's a song i want you to listen to or here's a book i want you to read or here's a movie i want you to watch for coffee in a case note, everyone's like, oh, Peach, great coffee in a case note. Now read this judgment and tell me what you think. And it's like, <laughs> fuck with, like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, I'm very busy. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's crazy what the Indian Court of Appeal says about, you know, corporate shenanigans. I'm like, I bet it's fucking wild. Like, thanks for, thanks for the suggestion. I'm definitely not going to read it. All right, so I need to just pause for one second and help Adele out for a second. Is that okay? Mm. Okay, guys. Now that Shag's gone, um, I think I can go into like full sales plug mode. What I would like, please, is um, anyone who is an Instagram person, if you could head to our account, Spooko, that I think is underscore Spooko underscore. Anyone who is a TikTok person, if you could go underscore Spooko underscore. And weird one, if you're a clubhouse person, I'm on there just with my real name um, and you can click around and find out what that is. That's fine. I probably won't chuck it on the pod if that's okay. Shag's on there with his real name. You'll be able to find that if you click around um, as well. So that won't be a problem. 
um, Spooko is really fun and I'd always imagined that it was going to be six episodes, eight episodes or 12 episodes and that's sort of where the one spooky night came from. Basically that I was going to watch or hear about, of course, all these horror films and that'd be that. What it's turned into is, notwithstanding the fact Shag and I have lots of demands on our time, is a really, really nice part of my week and a really nice part of my life. Like Shag is and has been my closest friend since about 1997 and we would have seen each other physically maybe once in about the last 12 months, 14 months. And this is a project that allows me to engage with him directly and it brings me huge amounts of joy. So if you are inclined to um, hop on and be a part of what we're trying to get going on socials, or, or sorry, what is now bubbling away on socials, I guess, one of our TikToks got 12,000 views, that was good fun, um, I'd be really grateful. It just feels nice when people come out and engage with those things. But anyway, we'll leave the plug. Shags off helping Adele. We'll talk soon. The rest is really is excellent. You can hear me drinking it and doing work here. It's good fun. Shag's back. Now we got to go. Hey, what's up, man? Don't worry about like. Don't worry about. Don't like. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Good to see you. So what I realized about friendship mm. time work. So what? So once you sent me that text, I had one of those sort of rare epiphany moments where I realized the key to friendship homework is that. You should never give somebody a directive and expect that to be fulfilled. Friendship homework isn't a command. It's inspiration. As Gary Vaynerchuk has taught you, you give without expectation. But more than that, right? Like, yes, absolutely. It's that. But... What you should be considering, friendship homework, when you, you know, when you ask someone to watch something or listen mm. to something, you shouldn't, you shouldn't sort of follow up and be like, have you seen it? Have you whatever? Mm -hmm. It's more that you're planting a seed of inspiration, which might not blossom for, you know, six to 12 months, mm. but will eventually blossom, especially if you guys have a relationship. And then you can still take ownership of that moment when they come back and they're like, hey, I finally read that book. And you're like, I see, I told you, it was amazing. It only becomes frustrating when you, when the root of title is watered down. Like I still remember to my brother when Nostalgia Ultra came out being like, Frank Ocean, Frank Ocean, this is an important mixtape. You will enjoy this mixtape. Sort of mid-2010, I'm like, listen to it, listen to it, listen to it, which he didn't do. And then, like, mid-2012, he was like, have you heard Frank Ocean? And I was like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so that's also the risk with friendship homework, that you, that you invest emotions into the outcome. Well, what I kind of love about you watching The Kill Count is at no point was I like, hey, Peach, you should watch them. I was just like, hey, they're a good way of blah, 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 of, you know, like getting used to a film. You've just done it of your own accord and it's been a beneficial experience for you in this journey to not only get over your fear of scary movies but actually like them. So I think that's super exciting. The other thing I want to say about Friendship Homework is, as we've said in a previous episode, every single you and I are having intercourse and everyone we are... <laughs> You, you know, we are sharing this podcast with, we're having intercourse yep. with. So um, once again, thank you for having intercourse with us on this podcast. Yes, we're grateful. A lot, a lot, 
a, a big part of that intercourse is sharing horror movie suggestions, which we always ask for. And to be honest, it's where I get the inspiration for these episodes. It's just that sometimes I don't get to them straight away or somebody suggests a film and maybe it takes sort of three or four months for it to click into place for me to say, oh, I want to watch this film and do it as an episode. So I just wanted to say, when you do share a film suggestion with us, I promise it's it's the seed of inspiration is planted, even if I don't get to it straight away. Not for me, uh, I, I really mind, don't care. I'm always like, just go, to, go talk to Shag about it. <laughs> I, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> with that in mind, with that in mind, today uh, we're doing a suggestion from Simon. Kind of follows on from Wrong Turn last week in a very surprising way. Today we're doing the horror comedy cult classic, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Never heard of it. Oh, really? I don't know if you want to edit that in. I, I, I just, like, I have not. <laughs> I will, I will. I like it. Did you see the way those guys looked at us? Who wants to go skinny dipping? <laughs> no. We got your friend! They captured Allison! Oh, it's the pancakes! You hate pancakes? I'm, I'm gonna make you something else. What am I doing here? You fell into the water. I dove in and rescued you. We'll go find your friends. You should relax. Tucker and Dale are on the case. What is this place? It's just a cabin. It doesn't mean they're psycho killers. Then why don't you go in there and talk to them? All right. Maybe I will. <laughs> I said maybe. Dale? What are you doing? I'm digging a shitter hole. You mind if I help? He's making her dig her own grave. There's no rules out here. It's us against them. <laughs> Saw your friend out there. He must be allergic to bees or something because he was running like a bat out of hell. This is a suicide pact. These kids are coming out here and they're killing themselves all over the woods. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. The girl that we have, she can maybe explain the whole thing. You've got another one inside. Oh, she's in my bedroom. Is there a genre ever that has so generously incorporated subversions and like meta textual re-readings into itself I, like i find it such a generous open-minded like i'm coming to love the whole like horror genre the more this podcast goes on what a generous warm um fan servicing um open-minded approach to take to making films ah that's awesome i'm excited it is fun and playful and open-minded the whole way through. That's so true. I love that. Time. And I love um, redhead guy getting work. Redhead guy who I think is English. Um, redhead character actor guy who is in like Knocked Up, and then that that English film that's like four funerals and a wedding, or, or what like the inversion of the Richard Curtis one. I'm about it. This is my favorite movie so far. Thanks, Simon. Horror comedy might be my favorite for you know it's not my favorite form of horror like really well done chilling horror is still my favorite but i love horror comedy and in fact to the point where this film has its own genre it's it's you know it's in wikipedia it's classed as a horror comedy mm. but it's also been classed in a couple of reviews i saw as a splat stick yeah okay <laughs> like shag think- we are cultural commentators right we're reviewers and i feel like if we are a mid-level reviewer trying to do it professionally, we want to coin splat pack or we want to coin some sort of gestalty type word to be the first 
people to refer to it as dude food or like whatever to just sort of grab on and be like the person who named it. And I feel like if you are reviewing stuff professionally, you must be scrambling around to try to be the one who's like, I'm the first one dudes to call it meta text you grossos or whatever. <laughs> well, I, in this case, mm. Splatstick is quite apt because this is absolutely a horror film in the sense that there's a lot of gore and mm. the gore is pretty over the top. But the way it's treated filmically, so beyond subverting tropes, mm. they subvert the way you're supposed to feel, see gore. So when the gore happens in this film, more often than not, it's a really funny moment. Yeah, okay. And it's really funny even when you're seeing entrails spill out of half of a body or even when you're seeing a circular saw implanted, you know, vertically through someone's face. Yep. It's funny. I don't, I, I don't know how else to describe it. And in that sense, I think the term splat stick is very apt. Mm. The other thing I want to say about this film, and it goes back to our roots of this podcast being a anarcho-syndicalist podcast, mm. is... Do you think to to start, you know, shrinking this gap of mm. inequality, we need to start thinking about nepotism and uh, family bequeathment? Intergenerational wealth. Shag, yes, you are 100% right. Let's bring in those death duties. But again, consistent with my innate hypocrisy, death duties for everyone. But for my family, let's just, like, we'll just, <laughs> like, it's fine. We'll just sort, sort something else out. But for most families, <laughs> yes. So when you look at a film like Tucker and Dale versus Evil, mm. which is a niche of a niche film, very strange, very interesting. How the fuck did they make this film? Mm. You dig you don't even have to dig too far. You find out the director, Eli Craig, is the son of Sally Field. And more often than not, when you find these real... And I'm not saying that's a... Like, I'm not being mm. like... It doesn't diminish the film in any way. Mm. But it just goes to show that if you want to have a career... Where he hasn't really done too much filmically apart from this film. Mm. Apparently, he's working on a film right now that's a mixture between Cloverfield and My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which sounds like <laughs> the worst film of all time. But when you, when you dig deep into these culty... Uh, strange indie films more often than not it's some family money that's helped make them and it's good that these films exist but it does kind of suck and sour things when you realise oh okay so most of the time money just bequeaths more money and that's how films get made and that's how people get to be creative in their life it, this is this is becoming the Thomas Piketty podcast. If Thomas Piketty was here, he'd be like, yes, you are 100% right. In 1950, <laughs> it was better than it is now. In 1890, it was marginally worse than it is now, but it looks like we're heading back in that direction. That's essentially what he'd say on reviewing the data. <laughs> But look, that's you know that's the nuance I want to add to this film. Mm. It's one of my fave horror films I've seen in a while. I loved it, so mm. I'd love to take you through Tucker and Dale versus Evil from 2010. Let's do it. A film by Eli Craig. All right. So it starts with the most stereotypical. Should I get another beer? Like, is this going to be really fun? Like, I reckon I'm... you should. I think I'm going to. I'm having heaps of fun. Let's do this, bitch. <laughs> Now, this one isn't a Rush's. This is very much the genre of, like, pube munches pale ale or whatever we spoke about earlier. It's like... 
<laughs> it's like it's we like put heaps of hops in there. We put like a thousand different <laughs> kinds, and it's like, oh, fucking congratulations! <laughs> well done. <laughs> Cheers. So the film starts with the most stereotypical and on purpose group of horny teenagers: Allison, Chad, Chloe, Chuck, Jason, Naomi, Todd, Mitch, and Mike. Great names. Who are all going on vacation deep into West Virginia. Now, while at a gas station, they encounter Tucker and Dale, two well-meaning hillbillies. Now, I don't know if that's a term people like to use or not, but these two characters, while being well-drawn, are still very much caricatures. And again, I think that's on purpose. Mm -hmm. Now, they're in the area because they've just bought the vacation home of their dreams, a rundown lakefront cabin deep in the woods. Again, super clever in the way that they switch the trope in the sense that a scary rundown cabin in the woods in your next is a place that could only be filled with barbed wire and dead bodies. But in the real world... When you say your next, are you referring to Wrong Turn? Was your next the French one where someone had sex with a skull? Yeah, why do I keep... To- yes, I am talking about Wrong Turn. Did someone have sex with a skull in your next? I think that's the only thing I remember. And it had a fight club ending. Oh, no, no, no. That's um, that's high tension. Oh, yes. Your next was the it was the estate uh, dispute, um, yeah. joint, yeah, joint yeah, ownership yeah. dispute, how you water down your yeah. beneficiaries to yeah. an estate. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I, so yes, I am talking about Wrong Turn, absolutely. But yes, so in Wrong Turn, a, a rundown cabin in the woods is the scariest place in the world. Mm. In the real world... It's a cheap piece of property that is, I guess, an entry-level piece of real estate for two not-super-rich guys to buy together and then do up. And maybe it's not worth heaps on the real estate market, but to them, it's their vacation house. It's a really exciting place. Context, context, context. So while they're there, Dale notices Alison. And Alison is played by, I think she was a PA in 30 Rock. Her character was, she's like super hot and super young and thus lots of funny things happen to her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she's, 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 she's a vaguely famous comedic actor and she does really good in this film. 30 Rock lost to history, sadly. It was a very, very good series is my recollection and it just sort of has faded yeah, away. I, kind of, and doesn't I want to go anymore. back and watch it. Yeah. So on Tucker's advice, Tucker's like, hey, like... You can go up and talk to them. There's nothing wrong with that. Dale tries to talk to Allison, but because of his inferiority complex and appearance, he only scares her and her friends. And I have to explain this scene because it's one of the first of many extremely funny scenes. So they are traveling to their holiday house to fix it up. So they have a lot of scary implements, which again, in a horror film, are very scary. They've got a chainsaw. They've got a wood chipper. And for some reason, they have a scythe because I guess there's lots of very tall grass all around there. And so he's carrying this scythe over to them. And Tucker tells him, you know, to show that you're confident, you just have to laugh. And so he goes over and he's like, are you kids going into the bush too? (laughs) 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 While he's carrying a scythe. So it's, it's obviously very scary. And they all react very scarily to the point where Chad, who's the alpha male of the rich teenagers, you know, gets in their face and he's like, back off, like, leave us alone. I'm going to protect her sort of. And that's the first real moment of interaction Tucker and Dale has, you know, with the kids. Now, on the way to the cabin that Tucker has recently bought, they're pulled over by Sheriff Gurr, who warns them of the dangers in the area. Now, Now, Tucker and Dale arrive at the decrepit cabin and begin repairing it. Nearby in the woods, 
Chad tells a story about the Memorial Day Massacre, a hillbilly attack which took place 20 years ago to that day. And we get a sort of film within a film that's very much a horror, like a very condensed horror film in which we immediately see an unfa... So we, we see without seeing the face of this hillbilly killer slowly pick off these teenagers one by one. There's a machete straight into the neck where we see lots of blood come out. There's a circular saw blade that goes straight into someone's face vertically, which I don't think is actually possible. I don't think you could throw a saw blade hard enough that it would lodge itself into somebody's... I just... I, I don't believe that. I'm with that. you. Like, where do you even grip it? Like, how, like even to throw it, how do you how do you grip it hard yeah. enough to throw it that, far, that hard? Yep. It would bounce off someone's face. It mm. would cause some damage, especially if it hit your eye. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it would bounce off. Yep. So that sets up the idea that this this is at, like an evil place where hillbillies were 20 years ago and they there, there was some hillbilly murderers. So anyway, later that night, the college kids go skinny dipping unbeknownst to them that they're in the same place where Tucker and Dale are fishing. And uh, Allison, who is our main, our main girl, mm. is startled when she notices them watching her. But they're not actually watching her. They just notice. And Dale, being absolutely lovely, is like, Tucker, stop watching. We can't watch them. That's not, yeah. that's not cool. <laughs> uh, she gets startled. She falls down into the river, hits her head, and doesn't come up. So they go over to rescue her. Meanwhile, her friends see them rescuing her. Tucker stands up and he's like, hey, we've got your friends. But we see it from their POV, so it comes across as quite scary. So they all run away. Tucker and Dale are like, what the fuck? So they take her back to their cabin. When Allison wakes up in Tucker and Dale's cabin the next day, she's initially scared but gradually befriends them. There's that amazing scene from the trailer where she's super scared Where he co- when Dale comes in and he's like, oh, you don't like pancakes. Oh, oh no, I don't like pancakes. And so he's, he's literally made of pancakes. He goes back and then makes her bacon and eggs and brings it in. And he's like, now don't tell me you're scared. Of ba- Sorry, my accent's terrible. But it's hard not to do his character with this accent. But it's just a really sweet moment with him. And it's, he is like, it's credit to the actors because he is believably sweet and Alison is believably open-minded as, and I guess the only open-minded one of her friends. So the other college kids now looking for Alison show up to the cabin to save her from her psychopathic captors and Chuck, one of them runs away to get the police. Now, while Dale and Alison are inside the cabin, Tucker, so one of them is about to go into the cabin to be like, hey, what the fuck? And they could have basically, they could have cleared up these misunderstandings immediately. Mm. But meanwhile, Tucker is outside still doing, you know, repairs on the place. He's got his chainsaw. He's soaring into a tree trunk, accidentally hits some bees, which causes the bee swarm to follow him. So then he comes running around the back of the house, waving the chainsaw like the (laughs) chainsaw masochist towards the kids so mm. they're straight away they're like oh fuck like these these killers are coming after us so they scatter through the woods and meanwhile mitch who's running away and watching tucker and not watching himself runs headfirst into a tree branch impaling him straight through so he's the western western virginia chainsaw masochist i, I guess would be the would be the analogy well, yes. You and, said you said masochist. And, that was a little joke, just to riff on you accidentally saying that, and you know, oh, just actually, to really just to show you I was paying attention. He said what state it was in, and you know, just to keep the conversation rolling, just to, just to be a good friend, a good co-host. This beer's awful. 
<laughs> it's so much worse than Rish's. <laughs> so there's a really sweet scene where just before Mitch dies, mm. he notices a bee landing on his nose. And there's there's no explicit explanation, but there's the implication that in this moment, he realises he wasn't being chased by a murderer. And it was just a terrible accident that he's now dying, leaning against a tree, impaled by one of its very sharp branches. This is another film that insurers hate. Insurers watch this film and will be like, oh, fuck, no. No, 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 <laughs> so they, so the, so the, So the teens find Mitch's body and then Chad, who's the alpha male, persuades the others that there's no saving them. They're now in a battle for survival with evil hillbillies. So Allison's friends follow Tucker and Dale back to their cabin and see Allison helping out with construction of an outhouse, which they assume she is being made to dig her own grave. Is the bad guy in this film going to be prejudice? Is this going to be like an anti-prejudice statement, this film? I'm so excited. Is this the best film we've done since Hereditary? Now, it's 2010, so yes, the message is quite simple. And there is a very strong don't judge a book by its cover message all the way through this And in fact, there's many moments where there are straight-up speeches from characters being like, if I'd only known that you are a real person, none of this, you know, it's, it's that sort of Fabulous. thing that happens in this film. But not to its detriment. It's yeah, quite, cool. like, I quite enjoy it. So seeing her and thinking that she's digging her own grave, the college kids attack, but Todd and Mike end up accidentally killing themselves. So one of them has a spear that they're running to take to take Dale out with, but Dale sort of gets out of the way, pushes Allison out of the way, accidentally hits her with the shovel, so they fall down, and so the guy then falls on his own spear. What a poetic way to die. And there's a moment where his corpse just sort of slowly oozes on top of Dale and all of his blood is spurting out of his mouth and like so Dale all of a sudden gets blood all over him and then the other kid goes with a very small knife to take on Tucker who's currently using the wood chipper to get rid of you know some of the wood that he's been chopping up but misses and uh, and launches head first into a wood chipper and there's a moment where like Tucker's trying to get him out but obviously there's no point and you know there's a funny moment where he's like are you okay and obviously half of this person is now dead and in fact there's a scene later on which may be in this where they eventually pull him out of the wood chipper and all there is is the legs and I guess the start of the rib cage and all of the sort of gore and organs slowly falling, falling out. And again, credit to this film that that is a funny scene, even though you're kind of like, oh, but that's funny. But oh, I don't know if I can look at that. Perhaps it wasn't nepotism, Shag. Perhaps we're seeing a real filmmaking talent reveal themselves. No, we're not actually. They've had 11 years. Sorry. They've had 11 years to prove <laughs> that theory right. And they failed. <laughs> So Tucker and Dale think the college kids are part of a suicide pact and that contacting the police will make them murder suspects, which is probably a really good point. Chuck arrives back with Sheriff Gurr. So remember, Chuck was one of the kids who went in the car to get the cop, who expresses doubt over Tucker and Dale's suicide pact theory. Because when the sheriff arrives, they're dragging the either leg of this half torso out. And they basically have to say, like... Shit happens. We haven't done anything. All of these kids have just shown up and they've just basically been killing themselves in the most insane way. And obviously Dale's like, we have another girl, she's inside. And the sheriff's like, I need to go in and check this out. 
Now, Gurr goes inside the cabin and accidentally kills himself with a loose beam in the cabin. <laughs> it very much is splat stick because the way he kills himself, it's a beam that has all these exposed nails and it implants itself into his forehead. And then he's walking around in a daze with this naily beam stuck in his forehead. And it's, again, it's kind of, it it's not the easiest funny. thing to watch. It does sound deeply funny. <laughs> I must, I must so when this happens, Chuck tries to get the sheriff's gun, but because he doesn't know how to use it. And Dale's like, hey, I think you've got to take the safety off. Tucker's like, what the fuck are you saying? He takes the safety off and accidentally kills himself. <laughs> so now five of the kids are dead. The sheriff's dead. There's a few kids left. And Tucker and Dale are like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so Chad reappears and attempts to shoot Tucker and Dale, but only manages to capture Tucker, whom he ties upside down to a tree. Chad then tortures Tucker and cuts off two of his fingers. He sends them with a message to Dale to come and get Tucker. So Dale leaves. So is he to- now turned evil? Do we say like like Chad's now turned turned evil and gone mad? Or, or- uh, Chad is slowly revealing himself to be evil, and like all the way through, he really has a thing against these hillbillies. And okay. whenever he gets like he's he's almost excited that he gets a chance to try and kill them. And, and and he he's often wielding a hatchet very menacingly in a way that it's like he can't wait to chop them up. So Dale leaves to rescue Tucker while Chad and Naomi return to the cabin to save Allison. When Allison tries to explain the situation, because she's basically like, no one's here, everything's fine, these guys are actually really nice, they accuse her of having Stockholm Syndrome. So Tucker and Dale return... So Tucker and Dale return and Allison attempts to lead a calm discussion. So she sits Dale and Chad down at a table, is like, I'm going to make you some tea. At this point, Chad says, don't give me chamomile. I'm allergic to it, which is important. <laughs> they try to have a discussion and she's like, tell me, tell me your perspectives and why you think this animosity appears. And at this point, Chad reveals that his grandmother told him that his father was killed in the Memorial Day Massacre and his mother was the lone survivor. So when Chad talked about the Memorial Day Massacre, in fact, it was his parents who were in it, his dad killed, and his mum, unbeknownst to his dad, was pregnant at the time, and so he was born without a dad and was killed by hillbillies, which is why he hates hillbillies, right? Yeah, sick. So Jason and Chloe, who are two of the other kids who are still out there, break in to save everyone, and... Of course they fuck it up. A fire breaks out. Tucker, Dale, and Allison escape while Naomi, Chloe, and Jason die in all hilarious ways. But Chad, who is now insane and scared, uh, is revealed to still be alive and vows revenge. After a car crash, because obviously at this point, like, Tucker, Dale, and Allison are like, we got to get out of here. They drive away, but they crash because obviously things... It's a horror movie. Mm. And an injured Tucker tells Dale that Chad has taken Allison to an old sawmill. So there's a moment where there's a car crash, they pass out, they wake up, Dale's alone, Tucker's outside, and Allison's gone. At the sawmill, Chad ties Allison up and forcibly kisses her. He's also, at this point, the Aaron Eckhart character from Dark Knight in that half of his face is burnt off. Lots of Chris Nolan Batman references this episode. I'm enjoying it. It's good. (laughs) (laughs) So Dale arrives and rescues Allison and the two barricade themselves inside an upstairs office where they discover news clippings revealing Chad's father not to be one of the victims, but the hillbilly killer and rapist. Oh, fucking. Which makes him a hillbilly, which freaks him out 
because he's like, no way, I can't be a hillbilly. No, I'm a I'm a rich jock. No way. Oh, I don't believe that. Oh, this is this is this is resonant. This is good. So Chad becomes enraged, and Dale stops his attack by throwing a box of chamomile tea at Chad, giving him an asthma attack. Chad, standing near a window, convulses and falls off the building. The police and news crew arrive late at the cabin and broadcast a news report stating that the deaths appear to be the result of a suicide pact and a deranged killer, who is revealed to be Chad, has survived the fall. Tucker watches the report on the news while convalescing in the hospital. Dale enters and they discuss Tucker's recovery. Tucker asks Dale whether he managed to invite Allison on a date and is happy to hear the two of them are going bowling. Later that night at the bowling alley, Dale encourages a fellow hillbilly to talk to some girls and to just be himself. As Dale and Allison confess their feelings to each other and kiss, the other hillbilly accidentally knocks out a girl in the background, starting a whole new misunderstanding. Fantastic. That's the end of Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh, loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Like the degree of knowing winks mixed with actual genuine uh, execution of, you know, a plot that we're engaged with. Like, I suspect we leave caring about these characters. I suspect we care about Tucker and Dale and Allison, at least. I suspect we're a bit scared of Chad. All of those things. The characters are really well drawn. Even though their caricatures are well-drawn caricatures, they feel like real people. And most importantly, because Mm. this is still a horror film podcast... Mm. This film wouldn't have worked if there wasn't tension and there's absolutely tension and it wouldn't have worked if the deaths weren't gruesome and they are completely gruesome. Why is that? The gruesomeness raises the stake such that like we see what death looks like and we go, ooh, we want to avoid that. No, if I take it to a more meta level, Mm. if you're going to engage and subvert a horror film, you have to be comfortable enough to get down dirty in the weeds and do the things horror films do so there's nothing worse than a pg horror film where someone's about to die and we cut away just before the victim's head is squashed and it's kind of like well it's not really a horror film now is it it's sort of it's basically harry potter so it it, it kind of it needs that grit it needs that depth so we actually know what they're satirizing and i think for that reason and for many other reasons it works phenomenally well Five rushes out of five. <laughs> uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And rushes, what's up? Oh, oh, man, I always forget. Shag does a weekly playlist that I want you to go to on Spotify as well. It's called If You Know You Know. It is 20 new songs each week. Shag's music taste is literally the best I've heard. And the fact that he relentlessly comes out finding new and interesting stuff week on week on week is insane. He has now become my sole source of new music. If you're not following, if you know, you know, you're making a goof. It's bring me, it's bring me. (laughs) It's brought me great pleasure. Um, It's informed all the favorite songs of my children, which is really moving and nice to think that your friend's done a playlist that now your kids are enjoying um, and it is a huge amount of fun. So it's called If You Know You Know. Um, head on to Spotify and find it. Shag's back. Now we've got to go.